Hello, everyone. This is your host, Sergeant First Class Arslan Khan with the Warrant Officer Recruiting Company. And today we'll be exploring the 351 Lima Counterintelligence Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty. Our special guest is none other than CW5 Larry Purcell from the headquarters uh, U.S. Army Intelligence Center of Excellence. And he will be talking to us about what it means to be a 351 Lima counterintelligence warrant officer. Chief, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and we are excited to hear your input uh, on all the different ways the uh, 351 Lima warrant officer military occupation specialty contributes to mission accomplishment. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for doing this. The 351 Lima is one of those critically short MOSs that continuously year to year uh, just fall short of meeting their accession goals. Uh, I hope this helps. Sir, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your experience as a warrant officer and how you feel about serving in your warrant officer specialty? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so I've been in the Army for 31 years now, and I've been a 351 Lima for 22 of those years. And from time to time, I get the opportunity to speak to the brand new W01s um, going through their warrant officer basic course at Fort Huachuca. And I tell them, well, first I congratulate them for making the best career decision they could have made. And that was by putting in their warrant officer packet. And, and then I tell them that in my career, there's been two decisions, critical professional decisions that I made, um, which were good decisions and kept me in the army as long as as long as I've been in. And one of those was by putting in my warrant officer packet back in 1998. Uh, no regrets. By far the best decision I made in the Army was, was putting that packet in. And I never really thought about it uh, at the time. I was a staff sergeant and I was the assistant special agent in charge of the Zama field office in Camp Zama, Japan. And it was really my first opportunity to do operational CI in an OCONUS environment. And I absolutely loved the position. I loved the job. I loved the work. Um, I got a sense at the end of the day that I accomplished something and made a difference. And I thought to myself, you know, as, as a staff sergeant, mid-grade NCO, I was at that point in my career. I had about nine years in service at the time. Uh, a point in my career, or what happens after after this? Uh, after this position, I'm looking at, if I'm lucky, a sergeant first class, um, E7, E8 role, and would be looking for positions uh, as a platoon sergeant, uh, first sergeant, uh, senior NCO type positions, which would take me further away from doing CI every day. And I really liked being an NCO. I, I was uh, th thrilled about putting those stripes on every day. And I loved what I did. And there's a certain aspects that, uh, that I really enjoyed training soldiers, leading soldiers, taking care of soldiers. But I really loved counterintelligence and doing that job as well. And uh, leaving the ranks of staff sergeant, continuing on to senior NCO, um, to me, I just felt like that I would be pulled away from the the job and the profession that I loved uh, a little bit more. 
And so the special agent in charge of the Zama field office at the time was a CW2. And he looked at me one day and he said, Staff Sergeant Purcell, you need to put your warrant packet in. And, you know, that was kind of the trigger. And I just, from that point on, I, I, it was like a switch flip. And I started working on my warrant officer packet immediately and uh, sent it up and got picked up and went off the walks. Uh, walks was very much different back in the, those days. And no regrets. I haven't looked back. I, there's no doubt in my mind, 22 years later into this, that I made the right decision at the time. It has been an outstanding career in every single position that I've held as a CI warrant officer um, has been re very rewarding. And so many times it, I, I go home at the end of the day and I just, I can't believe that we did what we did. Uh, in some cases, it's like something you would see in a book, read in a book or see in a movie. And you really feel like that you've made a difference. And so uh, I would tell any NCOs out there who are thinking about where they are in their career and how much they like doing what they're doing. Um, if they're in an operational CI assignment, uh, do you like what you're doing? And do you want to continue doing that? No, no doubt you're probably wrestling with um, the duties as an NCO and you like being an NCO, but I would just put out there if you really like doing counterintelligence um, and you like that part of the position, then entertain putting in your warrant officer packet. And uh, I think that you would see that much in my, much like in my case, that you're making the right decision and you too will have no regrets. That's a very intriguing story, sir. Thank you. Uh, for the potential applicant listening, uh, we've asked questions that most of us have when deciding to pursue a career as a counterintelligence warrant officer. And we would like to delve into some of these questions and get your take on some of the most crucial questions we all want to know. Let us begin by asking, what do warrant officers in your specialty do in a normal span of a duty day when they start out as a new warrant officer in the cohort? And how do those responsibilities evolve into more responsibilities later on? Well, what do 351 Lehmans do in a normal span of a duty day? Well, as a brand new warrant officer one, 351 Lima, uh, you, a lot of what you do is what you may have done when you were were a sergeant. Um, warrant officers are still going to get up in the morning. They're still going to go to formations. They're still going to do PT and and do all those things that that soldiers do. Um, however, as a a brand new warrant officer one, uh, your role is different. Uh, it's not exactly the same as it was when you were a staff sergeant. Uh, I recently had a conversation from a brand new warrant officer, one who finished up WOBC and was en route to his, his first assignment. So this warrant officer one calls me up one day, it's a Sunday afternoon, and he wanted to, to sit down and talk before he drove off to his first assignment. And he, was, he had a lot of uh, anxiety about going off to his first assignment as a, a brand new W01. And what I told him was the anxiety and even the fear that he was feeling uh, was perfectly normal. 
and that it would actually be a little strange if he wasn't feeling any type of anxiety. But he had a lot of questions about what his roles and what his responsibilities were as a warrant officer one at this first assignment. Great questions and, and valid concerns. And I recall that when I was a W-1, I had the same feelings that he had. And so what I had told him was, you know, just, just simple things, you know, like he wasn't unsure what his role would be with the platoon sergeants, uh, with the first sergeant. Um, was he still, still supposed to go to them when he needed stuff? And um, how was he supposed to handle his in-processing as a warrant officer one? And a lot of the things that I told him was like, well, you know, just, uh, be normal. <laughs> uh, it's not that much uh, of a change, although it, it, it is a shift and SEALs will look at you differently. Um, you're going to find yourself uh, having a lot more interaction with the company commander and other warrant officers, senior warrant officers within your unit. And that it was okay to, uh, to be inquisitive, um, to feel like that even though you had that bar on now that um, you weren't the subject matter expert in a sense that you weren't, you're not a W-4, you're not a W-5, you're a W-01. And being a technical subject matter expert uh, in our field, uh, when you put that bar on, it's uh, much like you, what, what they teach at Fort Rucker. Uh, it's progressive levels of leadership, management, and expertise. So as a W01, you're at the bottom of that ladder and it's okay to be there. That's where you're supposed to be. That's where you start your progressive levels of expertise and management and leadership. And you needed to, he needed to explain to commanders and company commanders that he was a W01 and not a CW3 or a CW4 and to give advice and assistance when it comes to making recommendations and, and being a part of the planning processes for CI uh, training within a unit and operations and controlled CI activities within the unit. So just having that conversation with him um, made me, it took me back 22 years and I started to reflect on what it was like for me when I was a W01. Um, but a lot of those feelings are normal and it's, it's normal to have that anxiety as a W01 when you roll in your first unit. And because just a few weeks ago, you were hanging out with the NCOs and, and, and doing NCO things. And then just a few weeks later, now you have a bar on and, and your people look at you differently. They treat you differently. They talk to you differently and it creates a little bit of anxiety. And, and that's a perfectly normal feeling to, to have. And the only way that you get over that anxiety is by subjecting yourself um, to the mission and to the job and the task at hand. Uh, in other words, jumping right into it and rolling your sleeves up and getting to work and doing the hard work. And that is how you alleviate and get rid of a lot of that anxiety that you have. Um, and what I tell the W01s as well is uh, when you show up to that unit, that first unit is a W01, people are, they don't know who you are yet. 
They, it takes time for them. It takes time for the commander to get to know you. It takes time for the senior NCOs and the other warrants to get to know you. So there's a sense that you're being looked at. And that's okay. That's a, a, a normal feeling to, to have. And as time goes by and you go to work every day, uh, you're going to feel a little bit comfortable about what you're doing. And you're going to have a little bit more confidence in the decisions that you make and the advice and the opinions and the recommendations that you give and the input that you give in planning processes, you're going to have a little bit more confidence as, as time goes on. So um, go to work today and jump in, go to work tomorrow. You're going to feel a little bit more confident about what you did, um, more so than what you did the previous day. And by the time you get to that end of your assignment as a warrant officer one, that first assignment, your zone of comfort is now significantly bigger than what it was when you showed up on day one as a warrant officer one. And then you're going to PCS to your next assignment as a CW2, and you're, you're going to have that anxiety um, on your shoulders again. And again, that's perfectly normal. You do the same thing you did when you showed up to that first assignment as a W01. You roll up your sleeves, you, you do the hard work and you get involved in planning processes and slowly over time through that assignment your zone of comfort is going to continue to increase and so on and so forth through your w2 career or w2 assignments and into w3 w4 and your zone of comfort continues to expand and again that's progressive levels of leadership management and expertise that are developing you as a warrant officer. Thank you, sir. That's a lot of great information there. Why would someone pursue this type of commission? And what are some of the benefits they take into the civilian world? So to answer this one, I'm gonna kind of compare and contrast the NCO grades and the warrant officer grades. So as we look at the NCO ranks, when you're that sergeant, when you're that staff sergeant, uh, yeah, you're, you're an NCO, but at that point in your career, you're doing the work that you were trained to do. You're doing your MOS. After staff sergeant, and I'm speaking in general terms, after staff sergeant, you tend to, when you hit those senior NCO uh, ranks, there are certain windows that, uh, that you need to jump through. Uh, you need to look for those NCOIC positions. You need to, to, to look for those uh, first sergeant positions and those uh, staff NCO type positions, uh, you need to lead troops, uh, you need to train troops. And warrant officers do that, but it, it, it's a, a different, ex, uh, it's a little bit different with the NCOs. And the more stripes that you pin on, the more years that you have in the Army, the further away you get from actually doing your MOS technical skills. As a warrant officer, it's exactly the opposite. The more dots that you pin on, the more rank that you obtain through those progressive levels of technical expertise and leadership management, the closer that you get involved, you, the closer you get to, to your MOS training. Um, so as an NCO, you kind of pull away uh, E7 and above in general terms from doing CI stuff. 
uh, as a warrant officer, you're going to do CI stuff the rest of your career. And it, if you make it through the promotion windows and you, you do all the right things, uh, your depth and, of understanding and experience within counterintelligence is going to be uh, humongous. Um, and that pays uh, dividends or could pay dividends well beyond uh, retirement should you decide to, to make a career out of this. So let's just say, for example, that a master sergeant E8, um, perhaps even an E9 sergeant major, uh, or 35 Lima retires from the army, um, 20 plus years in, and they start looking for civilian employment somewhere within what the army trained them to do, which is 35 Lima CI. So, as you're filling out those resumes, uh, the, the last time that that senior NCO uh, probably did CI uh, on a daily consistent basis was probably back when they were a staff sergeant several years ago. So compare that with a warrant officer, 351 in Lima, who retires and starts filling out resumes to do uh, CI as a uh, civilian now, maybe with the Department of the Army. And the last time that warrant officer did CI stuff uh, that he can put he or she can put in that resume was uh, today, right now. They were doing CI stuff today, they were doing it yesterday. Um, they didn't stop doing it several years ago. So um, if we look at the marketability of what the Army trained you to do, um, uh, in general terms, I, I feel comfortable in saying that that CI warrant officer is going to be more marketable in the civilian workforce and the federal workforce um, than what uh, his or her NCO counterparts could put on that resume. And continuing on with that, uh, within CI specifically, uh, we have a very large percentage of our CI workforce that are government civilians. Um, we have programs out there. In fact, if you go to any field office, CI field office around the world, uh, you will find um, Department of the Army civilians uh, that are retired CI warrant officers, um, or maybe they were CI uh, NCOs and, and got out of the army at some point and decided to pursue the civilian opportunities. So uh, again, as a warrant officer and you're spending your entire career doing CI stuff every single day is in most cases a very natural transition to retire uh, as a 351 Lima and go work in our civilian CI workforce um, continuing to do a lot of the things that you did as a CI agent, as a CI warrant officer when you were in uniform. Um, but now you have the opportunity to continue to do that uh, real-world operational-level CI stuff, uh, controlled CI activities uh, every day as a civilian. And the fact that you were a CI warrant officer doing CI stuff every day up to the time you re retired make you extremely 
valuable to our CI civilian workforce out there. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate the insight there. Sir, uh, if you had a young staff sergeant working in your shop and uh, you, know, you were going to counsel them and give them advice on what types of jobs they need to start working in their enlisted career uh, that would help them to achieve a commission as a 351 uh, Lima warrant officer, what, what would those entail, sir? If an NCO is entertained the thought of putting in a warrant packet, uh, yes, there, there are things that they, he or she can do in their career that will uh, make them more marketable or increase their chances of being picked up for warrant officer. And since warrant officers are technical subject matter experts within their particular field as an NCO, if you're thinking about putting in a 351 Lima packet, look for those positions that are going to exercise the skill set that the Army gave you. So you graduated SISAC, SISAC taught you how to do some things. Uh, find those positions out there as an NCO that are going to allow you to, to do some of the things that you're trained, trained to do. So uh, being an NCO or an NCOIC in a position somewhere is, uh, is all good because you're evaluated on your experiences in being leaders, um, but you're also being looked at for how much CI stuff have you done um, and were you good at it? So they're looking at those, the boards will be looking at those NCOERs and they're looking at those points in your career where you held positions to where you were doing counterintelligence things in a counterintelligence unit. So if you find yourself out there and the Army's good about this, sometimes we end up in positions in fields, um, different shops out there to where we're doing everything but what we were trained to do uh, within our MOS skill set. So if that's you out there and you're in a position um, that you are doing good in, but it's a position that the Army didn't train you to do, uh, to do uh, the things that we teach at SISAC. Find a, a local CI office, find a CI organization uh, on your base, on your post somewhere, and try to find opportunities to, uh, to do CI things. And because it's those skill sets and that experience you have as a CI NCO um, doing CI functions, those are the things that we're looking for and that will make you more marketable when the sessions board is looking at your technical experience that you have as an NCO doing CI. Thank you, sir. That's a lot of great information. Uh, what types of training can a young enlisted NCO benefit from when considering to pursue a career as a 351 Lima Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty? There are courses out there for 35 Lima NCOs uh, that they can attend that will help them uh, increase their chances of making 351 Lima. Um, the big one out there is uh, JACIDA, the Joint CI Training Academy at Quantico in Virginia. Uh, they offer quite an extensive course catalog on all things CI. And what's good about JACIDA is uh, your unit doesn't have to pay for it. I mean, those funds all come from um, other agencies um, and 35 Lima students uh, or even 351 Limas um, have the opportunity to put in an application to attend one of the JACITA courses 
and all of the TDY expenses are paid for by uh, somebody else uh, other than your unit. You know, it's a, we're strapped for cattle. The funding is continues to be a, a restriction for a lot of soldiers and, and units uh, uh, for TDY cost. Uh, this is an excellent opportunity um, for 35 Lima NCOs to uh, bump up their resume and to attend CI training um, that, that the unit doesn't have to pay for. So uh, those 35 Lima NCOs in there, I highly encourage you to look up the course catalog for Jacita and pick out some of those courses in there that will uh, help your resume and give you some additional CI training beyond what you got in your normal PME and SISAC. Thank you, sir. Uh, what is the most common mistake uh, made by applicants uh, applying to the cohort and how can it be avoided? Most common mistake for applicants. Uh, well, there's a couple of them that come to mind. And actually one of them is before you're even an applicant. When I talk to NCOs about putting in warrant officer packets, uh, it, I find that one of the common responses as to, to why is NCOs oftentimes feel like that they don't have the right amount of experience and the right amount of assignments doing CI that would qualify them to put in a warrant officer packet. So it's just that, that fear of, of getting over that fact that you may not have the experience uh, to be a warrant officer. And what I tell them is, well, if you do put in a warrant officer packet, and you go off the walks and you become a 351 Lima, again, you're starting out as a warrant officer one, not as a CW3 or a CW4. So it's that progressive levels of development that you go through in your warrant officer career. So warrant officer candidate school and WOBC is not going to make you an expert in counterintelligence. It merely puts you on the path that leads in that direction that through those progressive levels of leadership and technical experience and expertise, um, you'll get there. Um, but you got to get on the road first. And you, you do that by getting over that thought that you don't have the right amount of experience in CI or you don't have the right amount of assignments or the right assignments in CI to even entertain putting in a 351 Lima packet. And what I tell you is, is, is put it in. You, you, you got to get over that thought that you're not a subject matter expert. No, you're not a subject matter expert, but you got to, like I say, get on the road first, put your packet in. So that's really the biggest thing when I talk to 35 Lima NCOs and I ask them that question, how come you don't put your warrant packet in? Oh, well, chief, and I, you know, I've never really done operational level CI. Um, and I just, I don't think that I, I would be qualified to do that. And you graduated SISAC and you've had some experience doing CI things because you're a 35 Lima. So chances are, if you meet the prerequisites for 351 Lima and for warrant officer, um, go off to school, put your packet in, go off to school and you'll get that experience. And that's what I like about being a warrant officer is because once you come out as a W01, you are going to get that experience. So if you had those thoughts as a 35 Lima NCO, well, those thoughts are gonna be quickly gone when you come out the other end as a warrant officer one. Another thing I noticed um, with some of the applicants is 
having the right amount of of oversight on that packet because that that package you put in it's pretty extensive um and yeah you have to put it you got to go through the leg through the work to put it all together but as you put that packet together get somebody to look at it um get some of your your ncos to look at it get uh, get some of your warrant officers uh, to look at that packet um if if writing is a problem for you it's it's going to come out in the packet um, and as people review your packet it, it'll be noticed. So uh, writing is a big thing. You got to be able to write, but you already made it through SISAC, your 35 Lima NCO. So you've really already proven that, that you can write. So um, as you write your resume and put your warrant officer packet together, um, get somebody to take a look at it. Um, I've written several letters of recommendation, senior warrant officer letters of recommendation for packets. And when I start having those initial conversations with NCOs, who are wanting to put in a warrant officer packet, um, we have a lot of conversations and we talk for a, a while about why they're doing, uh, going this route. And, and as I go through that, I'll say, you know, I, I, if I think they'll make a good warrant officer, say, sure, I, I will write your letter of recommendation, your senior warrant officer letter of recommendation. However, before I write that letter, I want to see your entire packet. So as they put their packet together and they'll bring their packet to me and I will go page through page through all their NCOERs, through their resume, through their entire packet. And um, we'll make corrections, uh, we'll make additions um, as needed. And if I think that's a, a good packet that that NCO put together, well then uh, the last thing I'll put on top of that is that senior warrant officer letter of recommendation. Um, because my name and my reputation is going with that packet. And so I want to make sure that it is the best packet we could possibly put together and, and send it up. So those are the two big ones. Is, again, the first one is just getting over that fear of you might not have the requisite amount of experience or assignments in CI to qualify as a warrant officer. In most cases, uh, that's just simply not true. And the second thing is uh, having somebody look over your packet, two, three sets of eyes looking at that packet as you put it together. Yes, sir. Some really great advice there. When submitting a packet to the board, uh, what do board members value the most? And could you help us to describe the process that takes place when your packet is reviewed by the board? So as you put that packet together and that senior warrant officer letter gets their letter in, in your packet and gets sent up, uh, for the board or the panel, there's really two stops that it's going to stop at. Um, use of rec is going to be one of them. And what they're looking for uh, is, uh, do you meet, does the applicant meet the prerequisites to be a warrant officer? Um, the right years in service, um, are any waivers and time and service waivers or moral waivers or anything like that needed for the packet? Um, but for the technical aspect, technical portion of it, um, it goes off to the proponent, you know, and for, for 3, 35, 351 Lima, that comes out here to Fort Huachuca. So the packet gets reviewed uh, at Huachuca, and they're looking for, does the NCO, does the applicant have the right amount of CI uh, training and experience uh, to be a warrant officer? So um, as you're putting that packet together, highlight all those times in your career where you've done CI stuff, where you've done the things that SISAC trains you to do. 
And those are the things, the technical things about your MOS that you need to highlight in that packet and, and what that, what the proponent and what the panel is going to be looking at in regards to um, being the CI warrant officer. So even if you're in a unit where you haven't done a lot of CI work, you know, concentrate on the CI training that you've been through, the JACETA courses that you've been through. Um, if you've done any exercises uh, where you supported CI organizations and units, concentrate on that. Bring all that CI training and experience out in your resume and, and highlight that uh, to the panel uh, as they look at the qualifications to be in a CI warrant officer. Once an applicant is selected, how long do they attend uh, warrant officer candidate school and how long is the training uh, for 351 Lima Warrant Officer Specialty? So once the NCO, the applicant, is selected for Warrant Officer in the 351 Lima Training Pipeline, expect to go out to Fort Rucker for Warrant Officer Candidate School, which is uh, right now 36 training days. And upon graduation from Warrant Officer Candidate School, um, 36 training days, you will make your way out to Fort Huachuca, where you will attend Warrant Officer Basic Course for 98 training days. And then while there, you should receive your orders uh, to your first assignment. Sir, thank you for the insight on uh, all of that. Uh, what advice would you give to a newly selected NCO in your unit on how to prepare for Warrant Officer Candidate School and the follow-on Warrant Officer training uh, they're about to conduct? How to prepare for walks. Well, physical fitness is a big one. Um, you're going to have to be able to pass the, uh, the ACFT, uh, for both WOBC and WOCS and the, you know, it walks is much different from when I went through 1998 uh, significantly different, but you know, one thing that hasn't changed between then and now is the level of physical, high level of physical fitness that the applicant uh, has to be in before attending school. Um, the other thing from what I hear uh, from talking from recent graduates of WOCS is uh, apparently land navigation uh, is a big one. Um, that's a tough milestone for, for people to get over. When you get there, they're going to give you, from what I understand, you're going to get a, uh, all the platform instruction and PEs that you need from um, the cadre at Fort Rucker on conducting land navigation, but then there's a land navigation course apparently that you have to go through that uh, can be pretty tough. So um, level of physical fitness is important and uh, maybe brushing up on some of those land nav skills that you, you got as an NCO and that will certainly help. And as far as getting out to Fort Huachuca and, and WOBC, um, how can an NCO prepare for that? Well, you may actually know some of your classmates um, in your WOBC class, you know, there may be some other 351 Limas um, that you served with as an NCO. Um, uh, but getting along, uh, being a team player, um, listening to your cadre, uh, uh, giving input, um, and uh, finding mentorship, and, and, and listen to some of the people in the cadre that have been already been down your road. Um, and they will have valuable lessons and insights um, that can help uh, the NCO make their way through the 351 Lima training pipeline. Thank you, sir. Once you've been trained and pinned on as a warrant officer, do you have any input on where you will be stationed? And what is the process for selecting a duty station? So once you're at warrant officer basic course, uh, 
you'll probably know what your first assignment is going to be or be notified what your first assignment is going to be. And I wish I could sit here and say, yeah, yeah you're going to fill out the, your dream sheet and you're going to get exactly where you want to go and, and the unit that you want to go to. But uh, in, the, in this instance, it really is uh, to the needs of the Army. And if we look at the warrant officer uh, grades, of course, there's more W01s than there are W5s. Uh, the largest uh, population is with our W01s, W2 uh, population. So it really is uh, to the needs of the Army. And right now with 351 Lima, um, we're probably sending a little over half of another population is going to end up in like force gone type uh, assignments and um, probably a little under half ended up in operational assignments uh, with NSCOM or throughout NSCOM's global footprint. Um, so a, a number of different places that you can go. Um, but for certain is that you will go to a, a 351 Lima billet um, as a CI technician and you're going to be doing CI stuff, whether it be planning, organizing, conducting CI training, supporting exercises uh, uh, as a, in a CI role or um, at a field office perhaps um, in an operational level unit um, conducting CI controlled activities. Um, of course, uh, I believe they still have the option where um, W01s will be able to, to pick three or four assignments or locations that they want to go to, but at the end of the day, it really is just much much like it was when you were an NCO. It's going to be to the needs of the Army. Well, that's really good to know information, sir. I appreciate it. When approaching your unit's um, officer in charge and the senior warrant officer for a letter of recommendation, what steps should an NCO take to position themselves to in receiving a uh, stellar letter of recommendation, sir? So that senior warrant officer letter is, is a requirement for the applicant packet for, for warrant officer, um, as well as uh, OIC and uh, your, your commander. And so there are some things that an applicant can do to make sure that they receive a stellar letter of recommendation. And... Uh, one of those things is just to be involved in the process. Uh, one, if you can find that, the, the perfect scenario is if you work for a senior 351 Lima. Um, because if you find, if you work for a senior 351 Lima, of course, that warrant officer is going to know you. You're going to know that warrant officer. You, know, you work together. So there's no one that can speak better about you and your technical qualifications and experience to be a 351 Lima than that senior 351 Lima that you work for, CW3, 4, or a 5. And so that's the ideal situation. Um, but there are a lot of 35 Lima NCOs out there who are wanting to put in a packet, but there is no senior 351 Lima in their chain uh, or in their office or on their teams. So they don't have a senior war officer that they can go to for a letter. Uh, and th in those cases, uh, I would reach out, find one, um, go out there and whether it's in a different unit and it could be a senior 351 Lima that you've never met before and doesn't know you. And I've had this happen to me in a number of times where NCOs have sought me out looking for a letter of recommendation. Um, and, uh, if you don't have a senior 351 Lima uh, in your organization, you know, that, that doesn't mean that your pathway to being a, becoming a CI warrant officer is forever gone. 
um, find a senior warrant officer out there. And what that usually involves is you know, I'm not just going to write a letter for somebody that I don't know and can't speak to, but um, I will sit down and I will either steer you to a senior warrant officer uh, within your MOS or if it's 351 Lima, I will have a series of interviews and conversations with you. Uh, I will look at your, your file, uh, all of your NCOERs, uh, make sure that you meet all the prerequisites for uh, becoming a warrant officer and specifically becoming a 351 Lima. And we'll talk about your, your personal and professional uh, career and where you've been, what you've done, the training that you have. Uh, I may even ask you some questions um, on, on counterintelligence and, and some of the functions of counterintelligence and roles and responsibilities thereof. Um, and not only am I gauging your level of experience and training that you have in CI, but you know I'm going to be looking at you as a person too. Uh, do you have the ability to carry on a conversation? Do you have the ability to establish rapport? Uh, do you have the, uh, the, the ability to um, uh, give your thoughts and opinions and, and they are logical and critical and um, can apply some of that stuff? So I'm looking for you, your abilities to excel as not just a CI subject matter expert, but as a manager um, and as a leader. And uh, if those interviews and those conversations, you know, come out good, well, then I no no hesitation whatsoever in putting together a, a letter of recommendation for a 35, 351 Lima applicant. Um, but in some cases, you know, there's people out there that the applicant may work for that are not really good at writing letters. So um, if the applicant uh, is seeking a letter of recommendation, um, read those letters that go in your packet and, and, and don't be hesitant. You know, if there's spelling errors in there, there's grammar errors in there or the format for the memo is is uh is jacked up or bring it up to their bring it up to their their attention and say hey you know this you know format's kind of messed up or you got some misspellings in here um that's your packet and even though you didn't write that letter that letter is a now a part of your packet and the, for the board and the panel to see letters of recommendation or the formats messed up and spelling and grammar errors uh, throughout well then you know what kind of think about what kind of message that's sending to the board you know it's Here's a letter of recommendation, but you know this is not maybe uh, not helping the applicant um, get a favorable decision out of the assessments board. So uh, don't be hesitant about um, fixing that and getting that letter to read what you wanted to read in, in in a coherent and logical manner. Again, some very insightful information there, sir. When we speak about families, right, so uh, what is family life like as a 351 Lima uh, counterintelligence uh, warrant officer? And how can we best take care of our families as we embark on our quest to become a 351 Lima, sir? Family life as a warrant officer. Um, well, I think you'll probably see that it's much like uh, when you were an NCO, uh, you have a little bit more, as a warrant officer, you have a little bit more, especially as you pin on more dots, you have a little bit more latitude uh, to make career decisions uh, about particular assignments and, and locations that you may, may want to go. 
But the best way to take care of your family as, as you become a warrant officer is to um, figure out where your, pri where your family is in, in your list of priorities. You know, I've seen warrant officers, not just warrant officers, but soldiers in general. You know, sometimes, you know, they're really, really, really good at what they do and their technical skill sets uh, and their loyalty and dedication to accomplishment of the unit's mission is steadfast and, and, and unprecedented by anyone. It's the hard chargers, you know, those rock stars out there. Um, but balancing family life uh, with your professional duties uh, as a warrant officer is important. Uh, I've seen too many times where you know, a warrant officer is, is, is really good at what they do um, and it's pedal to the metal all the time, but in some cases, you know, the family suffers and, and they could lose their, and they have lost their marriage or, or lost their families um, because they put too much gas on the work side and, and, and not enough break and balancing that family life. Um, it, it's a tough balance. And uh, as a warrant officer, several times in my career, there's been points to where, you know what, there's something going on at work right now that requires uh, all of my attention. And for short periods of time, it might be days, it might be, it might be a few weeks. In some cases, it might be a month or two where it is just paddled to the metal and you're working some serious hours and, um, the stress stress levels are up there, and but you you got to get through which whatever it is that you're going through, and having the ability to recognize that your family is being put on the back burner for a bit, and in those cases where that's happened in my career, I I I, am, I recognize that my family is suffering right now, but I need to pedal to the metal on whatever it is that I'm working through, and then. Um, there's a time where you gotta you gotta hit the brakes and you gotta come off the gas and you've gotta give back some of that time to your family, uh, and when you have those pauses at work and those opportunities at, at work and doing warrant officer things to uh, to give back to your family, um, so you you gotta feed that you gotta feed the the work piece of it you gotta feed the family piece of it and it's it's a tough balance to 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 feed both at the same time. Um, so recognize that, you know, family is important. And if that's a big priority for you, just like, you know, work is and being a warrant officer, that's a big priority too. But, um, sometimes you got to give a hundred percent to, to work and, um, family gets, you know, 5% or 0% for a bit. And then sometimes, you know, you gotta, you gotta back off and you gotta give your family 80%, a hundred percent for a time and, and slack off of, of, uh, what you're doing at work when, when you can, when you can come up for air. So um, it's, it's, it's better just personal preference in, in, in arranging your priorities between family and, and work. Really good to know, sir. Thank you. This is a uh, two-part question, sir. Uh, when creating your resume, uh, what is the best way to highlight some of the skills you possess and what are the most critical skills to highlight? Furthermore, uh, what are some of the most critical trainings to highlight in your resume, sir? So there are things that you can highlight on your resume and things that you want the, the panel to see. And those are any type of uh, uh, leadership roles uh, that you have or, and or um, CI training and experiences that you have. Uh, again, remember, you're applying for a, a technical um, MOS, 
uh, and to be in a, being a warrant officer with a, with a technical skill. So those are the kind of things that you want to highlight in your resume. Um, for example, um, if you have been through any of the Jacita courses, you want to highlight that in your resume. Um, if you have done any type of leadership role as an NCOIC, you want to demonstrate to the panel uh, and the board that you, you can lead troops, and you can lead missions, you can lead sections, offices, and teams. Um, if you are coming from uh, an operational CI assignment and you want to talk about what you did there uh, at the unclassified level, um, anything you, uh, investigations or operations that you participated in, that you ran, um, that you conducted, um, highlight all that stuff because uh, that's showing the panel that um, not only does the applicant have the ability to, to be a good NCO and lead troops and train troops, but the applicant also has um, some counterintelligence training uh, beyond SISAC and beyond normal PME for, for NCOs. And they've been doing uh, CI stuff out there and they've been doing it good. And that's reflective in the applicants and CERs. And those are the kind of people that we certainly want to snatch up into the 351 Lima training pipeline. So uh, highlight and key in on those, those leadership roles and any type of CI training and um, experience in CI controlled activities uh, in those resumes. Thank you for your insight, sir. What are some of the most important things to talk about in the resume summary page? And how do board members view these comments? So the resume, resume summary page, yeah. So again, much like the last question, um, this is your one opportunity, uh, your one pager per se, that uh, you want to stick out, uh, the wave tops of your packet. So three things to concentrate on in that resume summary. Leadership, training, CI training specifically, and CI experience. You, know, you got one page right there. Talk about being a leader. Talk about the CI training that you've gone through outside of SISAC and normal PME. And talk about CI experience that you have doing CI controlled activities uh, in a real world environment. Those are the things that uh, if you have any, that stuff to, you want to go in depth on your resume, those are certainly three, three areas that you want to bring out on that summary page. Sir, uh, where are the three best duty stations uh, one can expect to serve in uh, while assigned as a 351 Lima warrant officer? Best duty stations to serve in as a 351 Lima. Uh, well, I've had quite a few of them as a 351 Lima, and you know what? I've liked every single one of them. And it's, it's hard to narrow it down to the three best duty stations. Because uh, I can honestly say that I, I've liked every duty station that I've been at, CONUS and OCONUS, in, in every position I've filled as a CI warrant officer. So um, people have personal preferences, though, you know, whether they want to go to a specific location or a specific unit. But, you know, there's a reason why I put in a CI warrant packet. That's because I wanted to do real world operational CI stuff. So and becoming a warrant officer gave me the opportunity to do that for my entire career. And so I tend to gravitate towards um, and preference uh, assignments to where I know I'm going to do real world operational level CI controlled activities. And so um, for me, that's typically been in uh, INSCOM, Intelligence Security Command uh, type assignments. 
uh, versus Forcecom assignments. You know, uh, a lot of our Forcecom units out there um, where we have uh, CI warrant officers assigned uh, are unfortunately in positions to where they uh, the the units that they're assigned to don't have the right authorities to conduct uh, real world CI uh, functions, and so they end up doing a lot of um, other missions and a lot of training and planning training and conducting training uh, in preparation of their wartime missions. Um, but what's uh, unique about counterintelligence is the fact that counterintelligence is um, uh, in competition with our adversaries who are very much trying to win during competition right now globally um, so that they will be successful in armed conflict. And counterintelligence uh, warrant officer's job is to ensure that the Army wins during competition um, by protecting our technologies, our research and development, um, our acquisitions processes, uh, protecting those uh, those next weapon systems so that the Army will be successful should it ever uh, be engaged in armed conflict, large-scale combat operations. So um, our job is, uh, our real-world job very much happens um, today, globally, both CONUS and, and, and OCONUS. So I tend to gravitate towards assignments where I know I'm going to uh, be doing real-world CI uh, activities versus uh, in units that don't have the right authorities. Uh, to conduct CI activities uh, during competition. Well, those sound like some really great duty stations, sir. Thank you. What are some of the most important certifications and training experiences warrant officers should pursue in the course of their career uh, in this warrant officer military occupation specialty, and why is that? So in your career as a 351 in Lima, there certainly are uh, a lot of opportunities to, to get additional training and as I've mentioned before, the, the warrant officer is progressive levels of uh, training, experience, expertise in your craft. And so your training doesn't stop after WOBC or after ILE advanced course or even SSE. Uh, outside of your normal warrant officer PME courses, there's courses that a 351 Lima can attend, uh, which will... Uh, broaden and expand their horizons and, and expertise in counterintelligence. And a lot of those courses are what I mentioned previously at the Joint CI Training Academy in Quantico. So um, there's a lot of courses uh, there that a warrant officer can take that will hone their skill sets, their technical skill sets and their craft. Uh, outside of JACIDA, uh, the, uh, the J2X course and possibly some courses at HTJCO out of Fort Huachuca um, can be very beneficial as a warrant officer continues that venture uh, lifelong learning uh, in their career as a warrant officer. So uh, look for that stuff because you, as a warrant officer, you want to maintain relevancy um, within your field, within your technical skill set, and certainly uh, uh, operational experience doing operational control CI activities and, and units out there is a good way to maintain your relevancy. Um, but staying up to date on the doctrine and, and staying up to date on policy and uh, broadening your skill set 
um, by attending some CI-related courses out there at JACETA or even HTJCO um, to maintain your relevancy in your craft. Sir, on the subject of promotions, um, starting from W-1, how long will it take in this uh, Warrant Officer Military Occupation Specialty to progress through each rank to reach uh, CW-5? Expect to be a W-01 for two years. And that's a, a local promotion from W-01 w to, to CW-2. And then at CW-2 and beyond, you're looking at um, uh, Department of the Army Centralized Boards process, which means uh, a panel of senior officers and warrant officers uh, whom don't know you, never met you, but only know you uh, based on what you look like on paper are going to determine your promotion and determine your career. So uh, two years as a W01, and then uh, the general rule of thumb is uh, about five years uh, from pin on to pin on. So for example, um, two years as a W01, you pin on CW2. Uh, from the time you pin on CW2 to the time you pin on CW3, you're looking at about five years, uh, which means that as a W2, you'll spend uh, four years as a W2, and in that fourth year, your promotion board will meet. Um, and if you get picked up, and you probably will, um, you're looking at within the next year, within that fifth year of pinning on CW3. And it's generally about the same as it progresses from three to four and four to five. So if we're looking at five years from two to three and another five years from three to four and another five years from four to five, I mean, that's 15 years plus the two years as a W01, you're looking at about 17 years of warrant officer service um, to generally progress from warrant officer one to chief warrant officer five. Thank you, sir. Uh, as one retires from this uh, warrant officer military occupation specialty, uh, are there lifelong organizations that one may take part in as a former warrant officer to champion issues concerning warrant officers exclusively? Sure. So once you retire from the Army as a warrant officer, there are lifelong organizations uh, that you can continue to, to, to be a part of. One of them is the, the Warrant Officer Association. Um, in most uh, locations where the Army is at, uh, there will be a Warrant Officer Association chapter, um, which is comprised of active duty warrant officers and uh, retired warrant officers um, that do lots of uh, community events and fundraising and charity and, and also champion the cause uh, for warrant officers um, at uh, the congressional level. So, um, and as a retired warrant officer, you, you can be a part of that. And so uh, I would uh, encourage warrant officers, you know, to stay involved. And uh, one of the things I've liked about uh, being a warrant officer is the, within the cohort itself, the uh, level of um, commitment and, and, and understanding amongst the, the camaraderie amongst warrant officers, regardless of what your MOS is is I think better than what you would find in the O grades and uh, in the NCO ranks. Um, warrant officers tend to help warrant officers out uh, wherever they're at. Um, even in social media, you know, we have warrant officer forums and, and pages out there where uh, if you got a problem or a concern or a question, um, uh, you post it and within the cohort and the community of warrant officers, someone out there that you don't know 
um, but they're a warrant officer too or a retired warrant officer, they're going to help you out. Um, it's just that that level of um, we came from the same backgrounds. You know, we all, regardless of what our MOS is, uh, we all came through Fort Rucker. Um, we're all recognized as technical subject matter experts within our career fields. And uh, there's a lot of respect uh, within a cohort uh, about being someone who's a, a master of their craft. And so I've, I've always liked that about being within a cohort is the uh, ability of warrant officers to, to be there for each other and to help each other out, um, whether it be giving advice or recommendations um, to resolving complex issues uh, within your field or within your career. Um, if you need something uh, to get your to get the job done, you know, somewhere out there, there's going to be a warrant officer. If they know about what your situation is and if they can help, they're going to help. So I, I like that about being part of the cohort. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to know that uh, upon my retirement, when I retirement, when I retire, that that's going to continue. There'll always be warrant officers out there that will help you out, even though they're retired. All right, sir. Uh, why should someone uh, compete to be a part of 351 Lima Warrant Officer MOS? And how does it benefit the nation? Why should someone compete to be a 351 Lima? Uh, well, you know, I go back to that old Army recruiting slogan back in the, the 80s or whenever it was, um, be all you can be. And the, the patriotism that the American soldier has is uh, and it's an incredible thing to, to be a part of and to, to witness every day. And uh, coming up through the ranks as an NCO, it's j soldiers and NCOs generally want to be all they can be. And if you like your craft, you like your skill sets and what the Army's training you to do, what you go to work every day to do, um, becoming a warrant officer is uh, just another road that, where you can continue to, to be all you can be. Um, and it doesn't have to stop or end with a sergeant major, command sergeant major, or first sergeant. You know, you can keep on going by applying to be a 351 Lima. Um, you really are uh, striving to, to be all you can be. And those things, you know, that the Army basic values, you know, that the Army teaches soldiers when they come in, and that traverses through the NCO ranks and, and through the warrant officer ranks. And uh, the ability for the last 22 years as a CI warrant officer uh, to, to be, all my, be all I can be uh, in support of our country, in support of the Army, uh, it's there every day. The opportunities are there. All you have to do is just uh, wake up every day, go to work, and, and, and keep moving forward. And uh, you will move forward. And a career as a warrant officer is a perfect way to... Um, to be all you can be. And so I, I've liked that about being a warrant officer because uh, it's, it's impactful. Um, uh, you have the ability to, to influence policy. You have the ability to write policy. You have the ability to influence and write doctrine. Um, and uh, with that, retiring as a warrant officer, uh, you leave your mark. You, you, you leave your legacy for those warrant officers uh, who are coming up behind you. And um, we're all moving towards a, you know, a common goal in the defense of our country and the, um, the growth of the Army and, and our profession. So uh, it's exciting times. And like I said in the beginning of this, you know, just the decision to 
go warrant for me was the best decision that I made in my career. And I've had no regrets. And there's no doubt in my mind, any 35 Lima NCOs out there uh, who are contemplating putting in a warrant packet, um, do it. Um, you don't want to leave the Army, um, whether it be through separation or retirement, and continuously reflecting on the rest of your life. On, uh, I wonder what would happen if I would have put a warrant packet in. I wonder uh, if I would have got picked up if I would have put that packet in. I, I wonder where my career would have gone if I would have went warrant. Or I wonder what my civilian um, markability would be within CI if I would have put my packet in way back when. So uh, you don't have to put yourself in a position where you, you have regrets like that. So you're at a point in your time uh, now in your career between nine to 12 years of service and even beyond 12 years of service, um, with time and service waiver likely to get approved uh, beyond 12 years. Uh, put that packet in and um, uh, you, you, you too will have no regrets and enjoy your career as a CI warrant officer. Thank you, sir. As a mentor in the cohort, uh, what additional advice would you offer a potential applicant um, seeking to apply? So let's look at NCO promotions for, for 35 Lemas right now. And let's say you're a staff sergeant out there, uh, and of course this fluctuates with time, but, but take a look at NCO promotions right now. What is the promotion rate for... Uh, the staff sergeant to sergeant first class. Uh, recently, the the army promoted a bunch of three, 30, I'm sorry, thirty five Limas to sergeant first class. Um, but beyond that, even and, and with that, uh, the NCO promotions have slowed down considerably. So um, I don't know what the exact percentage is for staff sergeant to sergeant first class. Um, I, I believe it's in the single digits, and it becomes even more difficult. Um, from Sergeant First Class to Master Sergeant um, as a 35 Lima. Uh, I'm pretty sure that is a, a low single digit number for that selection rate. So as a 35 Lima, look at it for a 20 year career with the NCO promotions uh, being as difficult as they are for, for senior NCOs for E7, E8, E9. Um, where do you see your career uh, capping out at? Um, with rank. Um, are you looking at your terminal rank as hopefully as a sergeant first class? Um, chances are uh, right now in these day and times uh, making uh, master sergeant or sergeant major is extremely difficult. Um, so uh, let's compare that with uh, warrant officer promotion rates uh, for, the, for, for MI. So if we look at W01, uh, once you become a W01, uh, W01 to CW2 is, is, is nearly automatic. You really got to mess that one up to, to not make CW2. Um, if we look at the promotion percentages uh, across military intelligence, um, uh, the promotion rate for 2018-2019 uh, uh, for CW3 is 72% or was 72%, significantly higher than what senior NCO promotion rates are. Um, looking at uh, CW4, in uh, 2018, the promotion rate to, to CW4 was 84%. In 2019, uh, last year, it was 65%. Again, it just 
you can't even compare it with the senior NCO promotions. It's just way, way better. And even at CW5, if we look at 2018, the selection rate uh, to CW5 was 17%, and in 2019, it was 29%. Uh, now compare that to what the selection rate is from Master Sergeant to, to Sergeant Major. I bet you, you did 29% for four to five. I, I bet you Master Sergeant to Sergeant Major can't even get close to that. So your ability to move up the, uh, the ranks as far as promotions is uh, significantly better as a warrant officer than as a, a senior NCO. Sit down and do some retirement math. Um, figure out what your retirement is going to be, your retirement pay is going to be as a, a sergeant first class or as a master sergeant. Um, and then look at what your retirement pay is going to be um, as a CW3, CW4, and, and, and look at the difference. So we're talking about uh, increased promotion potential uh, in the warrant officer ranks, guaranteed higher retirement pay as a result of the increased promotion ranks within the warrant officer ranks. Um, the ceiling is much higher uh, for retirement pay and for promotion potential within the warrant officer grades than as the senior NCO grades. So I could sit here all day long and just give you um, all the pros of putting in your warrant officer packet. And I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't want to do it. Um, so NCOs, if you're on the fence out there, you know, do some math, uh, look at what your retirement pay is going to be um, as an NCO and look at those uh, senior NCO promotion percentages and, and see what your chances are of making master sergeant sergeant major or, or even sergeant first class and then compare that with the numbers that i just gave you promotion percentages from uh, two to three three to four and four to five and and then factor in that retirement pay it's just a it, you can't beat this deal <laughs> put your packet in best of luck to you much thanks Chief, thank you for the privilege of your time today. Uh, we really appreciate all the great level of information you've provided us uh, today. And for our listeners out there, if you're considering a career as a 351 Lima counterintelligence warrant officer, uh, military occupation specialty, um, you know, I would encourage you to apply and apply now. And as always, go warrant now.